There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July 12, 2010. For newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, bookmark all the sites you see listed. These are the official sites. If you get problems on download of any of the audios or whatever, try these alternate sites because sometimes too many people go into the com at the one time. Remember, they all have the audios. They all have a lot of English translations for prints up. But if you want uh, translations in other languages, go into Alan sentinel.eu. You'll see that listed too on the com site, and you can download uh, and take your pick from uh, the various languages of the world. Now remember, while you're in there too, uh, that I depend on you to support me because I don't ask for. In fact, I advertisers generally approach you. That's how hosts make their living from advertising, and uh, the ads you hear on this show are paid by advertisers to RBN for the airtime, and it pays their staff and equipment and their bills. So it's up to you to help me pay my bills by buying the books I have for sale, the discs I have for sale, ordinating to me, and that helps me just take over. This is not a job. It's beyond even a vocation. It's a necessity, what I'm putting out right now. It's a different uh, spin on everything. It takes in more uh, history of why we're, 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 we are where we are, where we're going, and uh, I give you a lot of the histories of who's behind it and the organizations that decided an awful long time ago that they wanted to bring in a planned society worldwide. And we're all helping them, uh, actually. We really are. We are all helping them get their way in the totalitarian regime that sprung up around us. We participate in our own demise by using the computers, putting all our data up for them to, to monitor daily. And uh, it's incredible how people jump at it get addicted to it, and literally keep a life diary, a daily diary up on the Internet, exactly what they want you to do. So help me out. Buy these things. Remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office from the U.S. to Canada. And you can send cash or PayPal to donate or to purchase. Just send a separate email along with the PayPal donation, and I'll get your order out to you. Even across the rest of the world, cash is fine, PayPal to donate or to purchase. Uh, Western Union's an option, and so is uh, MoneyGram, I believe, and cash again. So that helps me keep going. Believe me, it is expensive. Uh, the equipment I'm using here is pretty outdated, and uh, for a lot, a lot of the stuff that I use here, I use more than one computer, obviously, and I certainly don't go online with one of them because if you go online, uh, you'll get monitored instantly. The governments and the agencies put uh, little Trojans in immediately to make sure that they get collect all your data, see what you're up to, and stuff like that. So I've always got to have at least one computer on standby while the other one gets infected. Now, what is it we're going through? We're going through the complete demise of every society on the planet. We've been brought down to almost a barbarian stage, a very dumb 
uh, dumbed-down society, um, all done by culture creation and a form of socialism, a temporary spoiling, you might say, to bring us down even further, and so that we're helpless. That's what you do to an enemy. You try and make them helpless. You use massive psychological warfare. You keep telling them they're getting the best education in the world. You keep telling them they've got the best health care in the world as you bring it down steadily. And you overcome their thinking processes by simple repetition by uh, experts on television. Television is something. It's the best weapon that was ever devised. And believe you me, nothing is put out there for the public's consumption today or yesterday or tomorrow. Without that in mind, it's for your demise. Back with more after these messages. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And I always describe the matrix as a, a, like a dimension, really, where you have so many rooms and compartments, and we become com- compartmentalized in reality. And as you grow up, you, if you're thinking at all, you, you possibly will wake uh, up and break out of one compartment and go into the next one. And you're, hopefully you're learning and realizing there's much more to this life than, than an awful lot more than what you're ever being told. And you study, as I did, I studied the introduction of television into a working class area. And it was kind of mandated by the government at the time that all the the peasantry in the UK uh, get television. They were awfully interested in making sure we had good entertainment, apparently. And it hasn't stopped from there when you think about it, because the television series they gave us uh, initially seemed fairly tame. But then they started to really push the envelope in their comedies and then with their dramas and eventually with television movies, which they still use today, made-for-TV movies, which are full of your updates on political correctness into the new normals. And they're always giving us new normals, you see. And unfortunately, the public literally um, has no, no idea that they're being programmed whatsoever, but they watch various dramas of real-life events that haven't happened yet, um, come into play, they see their favorite characters or actors go through the drama of the arguments and how they, they, they come to resolution to, to overcome or find the problem, the solution, they find a, a solution for it. And it's all acted out before the actual events happen in your own life. Uh, they even did that before they opened up the UK to mass immigration to prepare you through drama. Uh, how you would handle it and how families would handle it and so on. One of the biggest um, ongoing series, I think it's the longest in the world, was Coronation Street. And uh, they made sure that for every type of working class character, there was a, a character in the series just like you, basically, or, he, you, or who you, be, you, be, you could identify with or be friendly with. And... Uh, when you see the cast behind the scenes of psychiatrists, psychologists, marital divorce lawyers, sociologists, child welfare workers, these are professionals, all to put these scripts together, every professional you can imagine, every government agency you can imagine, you understand that this is not for your entertainment, this is for your programming. And that's why they call it television programs. 
They did the same thing in the U.S. too, and they've taken society down to a, a really base level. All by design, because a base society is too busy doing exactly the, the things that Bertrand Russell hoped they would do, he being a member of the elites, the governing class, uh, who worked with a lot of the think tanks responsible in the U.S. and Britain and elsewhere. He worked for those th- think tanks to bring down society because he also believed that the better breeding types should go on into a future which was unsustainable if everyone else, all the lower types, came along. They believed that the, the inferiors would outbreed the superiors. And Charles Galton Darwin, all these guys knew each other, um, also put that forth in his book called Millennium. They created the socialist movements. It's amazing, you see, out of uh, Marxism came the idea for special breeding when they coupled it with Darwinism. And Karl Marx asked Darwin if he could put his name in the book, in fact, dedicate uh, the second or third edition to him. And um, they coupled, as I say, special eugenics with socialism. The best way to to organize a, a planet, a planetary-scale system of top-down governance of authority, of an authoritarian nature, is through socialism. That's really what it was in, invented for, where science would rise above all the other uh, systems that helped to run countries and scientists and specialists and experts would run society. We're pretty well there. And most of it's already been done, uh, again, through stealth, through programming, uh, television. Russell did go into the techniques used, uh, and even in novels, he said, were very, very important to get ideas across, because that's how your mind is changed through drama and fiction. Plato said the same thing uh, thousands of years ago. So these sciences and understandings are not new, and Plato also talked about eugenics and breeding in The Republic, the book called The Republic, a favorite, mind you, of all the top eugenicists and and all the guys who have been and still are today running this whole show. And they they realized at the beginning even of, of, or even in the late 1900s, that they'd have to set up this world socialist system, the fastest way to get it across You could bring in welfare systems because welfare systems bring in authoritarian governmental controls and agencies over the public, Uh, whereas so a free uh, a free system, a market system, uh, they have to go through other channels and really try and convince or persuade the public to go along with them. Socialism doesn't have to bother. They just keep churning out laws, creating more bureaucracies, and get it done that way. Today we're in the the area of... uh, public-private partnerships where they can actually farm out a lot of these social agencies which can go even faster with their regulations because they don't have to pass them through governments. And when you want to complain about some, well, who do you complain to? They're a private business. They can do what they want. That's what you're told. All by design. You know, there's a in movies, they put a lot of movies out there to, again, condition you. Everything out is conditioning you. It's the same with high-definition television. Why, is it, why did they pass a law in the States that everybody would have to eventually broadcast through high-definition? Why is it so important you all have to get plasma televisions? Why, why, is that, why does government care what you're doing in your home? It's obviously got a very special reason for it, and it's not your entertainment. Why is India 
giving away free televisions to ensure that everybody in India can get a television set. Why did Britain do the same thing? Push that whole idea of giving them for the first time higher purchase for people who own no property, make sure they got a television back in the, the, the 50s and 60s. It's the greatest tool. If you see the same characters every night on your 6 o'clock news who speak with authority, you grow up with a lot of them, uh, they're still there when they're 80, and here's Big Daddy telling you with authority what the truth is, according to the government, and you find it hard to disbelieve them. You're taught that the news and the media is all there independently to, to, to tell you the truth. Now, I've given you examples before when even journalists with contracts to big companies like Fox and so on um, had their contracts broken. And uh, they were told at the court, the high court, they went to the Supreme Court with it eventually, and they were told by the judge that the media is, has no responsibility to tell the public the truth. And, if, you know, who needed to go to the courts to, to find that out? They're private businesses. Since the word was first put in print, it's been used for propaganda and governmental purposes. Always has been. I could go on and on and on about it. I'll just finish off this little bit by saying, remember that uh, Carl Quigley talked about the power just off the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, to literally write all the school books and all the histories omitting their own involvement in creating those histories for the whole of Britain and the British Empire, as they called it. And that was brought up in Parliament by Winston Churchill, who was out of the loop at one point on some of the topics. They literally had the ability not just to give you all your media through the Times and all the newspapers they owned, and they owned all the chains in Britain, but literally to give you histories and at the same time keep their own histories for their own research and, and their mem- memoirs and so on in uh, an archive, which quickly got, got access to being a member of the Council of Foreign Relations, where they admitted that they were behind the setting up of wars, they were all for world government, and the only way to get there was through wars and conflict. Now, young men are guaranteed in every generation, especially the ones who come from the working classes, to flock into the military, especially during economic depressions. At one time again, uh, European countries would talk to the manufacturers of the big plants and factories, ask them to lay off temporarily. They would get compensation for laying off so many workers because they would want guys to sign up for the military. There'd be wars coming up. That was a standard thing which they did. And uh, young guys who have no wisdom, we've all been there, uh, you have no wisdom, uh, think you're going to suddenly be somebody like the ads tell you. You're going to be, you know, somebody. You're going to travel the world and all that kind of stuff and have respect for the first time in your life. And off they go. They, they haven't come out of playing cowboys and Indians yet. They haven't come out that stage yet because guys don't mature till much later on. Uh, they're living half in fantasy. They all want to be a hero and be uh, just like a sports team. They want to be held aloft from all their buddies and by their buddies and, and be awarded for being the, the, the brave leader of the tribe, basically. That's what it is, tribal instincts. 
And off they go, fighting for wars. They don't really care to know what what are for. And once they're there, and a few of their friends get killed by the people who are rather upset about being invaded, uh, they tend to go into slaughter rages and stuff like that. So, on the one hand, you can't really sympathize with them because no one's forcing them to go. They're not draftees. Uh, On the other hand, too, um, once you start slaughtering people, they'll never be the same again. They will never, ever mature normally again. Because eventually it's going to subconsciously or from the perimeters of their mind sink into their heads that they've, they've wiped out whole families just because they were there in these, these free kill zones and told each other how much they enjoyed it at the time. I wanted to say, my goodness, you know, what were we really doing? These are families just like their own uh, families back home, maybe even tighter more more normal families than they've come from because everything's dysfunctional in the West. They're never the same again. Back with more after this break. Alan Watt here, and we're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about some of the conditioning and the fact that we're living through an ongoing plan. Literally, these guys run the world as a military operation, a long-term business plan even, but with military precision, with introduction dates for things to happen, uh, and they have unlimited funding. We provide the funding through our taxes for pretty well everything that goes on, and people really have no idea how many taxes they're really paying. It's not just property taxes, income taxes, uh, value-added taxes, uh, general sales taxes. Uh, there's lots of other hidden purchase taxes within everything you're already purchasing. But it's never enough for government because we've got big, big plans for the whole world, and they're all part of it, you see. The CFR and the Royal of International Affairs and the Trilaterals have got this idea and have had for well over a 100 years to bring in this world society where their own private corporations, owned majority shared-wise by the elite themselves, for all the resources on the planet, will run the world and start rationing food as they bring down the populations which they knew would occur. And at the same time, they make sure there's very little resistance in a lot of countries, especially in Europe, by mass immigration flooding the countries until the natives are almost extinct. That does come under genocide, by the way. You can outbreed a population and um, to eradicate the cultures forever. The cultures who would have stood up against them. What's happening? Because when you have people with, with no common culture, no common heritage, and most people now uh, coming from countries who have never had any idea of rights or democracy, uh, well, they continue in the same mode of thinking when they come into their new countries. And that's what they want at the top. Well, they've got it all, actually. But getting back to the troops and so on, young guys who are used all the time, the cannon fodder, really. We have an article here that's kind of an eye-opener to some people, not really for others who've been watching it. And it's from the Australian, July the 10th, 2010. It says, Soldiers' despair confronts defense. And it's about how the troops are faring, but it's, it goes into the other troops as well, because every country is involved in this thing. You don't realize there's a world war going on. Most folk, it's never been, until they're, they're given the term, it doesn't dawn on them what's happening. And it's like saying that you're living under, you're under communism for the first time. People don't relate what's happening now to the Soviet system. But anyway, 
It says, Soldier Despair confronts defense, the Australian July 10th. Australian troops have revealed the intense pressure of operations in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, they're, they're all having it. All the countries are having it. Because they don't realize how long this has been going on. And as I say, there's so many countries involved in especially uh, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And then they're getting rotated through all these other dozens and dozens and dozens of other uh, UN hotspots all the time. that they, they end up cracking up. And it says the troops have criticized the defense organization and their allied counterparts as it detailed the hidden trauma of life on the front line and descriptions of overworked pilots addicted to stillnocks and other prescription drugs. Uh, they're given all these uh, heavy amphetamines to keep them going 24 hours a day or even three days in the trot. And underground trade in illicit substances and sex complaints about a lack of support, poor leadership and the constant fear of death. Troops have provided a raw and disturbing account of Australia's involvement in the Middle East. The weekend uh, Australian has obtained an extraordinary selection of transcripts from 120 serving and former troops from the two Iraq offensives dating back to the early 1990s. This has been going on since the 90s, this particular part of it. And the ongoing Afghanistan war in which they reveal the threats faced on deployment, not only from the enemy, but also from within, threats from within. Their frank and often disheartening comments made in a supposedly confidential environment for researchers preparing Australia's largest ever defence health study are so controversial, defence has removed the transcripts from a research website and threatened reprisals over the apparent breach of information security. Defence last night vowed to investigate many of the allegations raised by the focus groups, but insisted some of the members' concerns were dated and had already been addressed. Well, they'll always say that. It's bad for recruitment, you see. It says, some of the comments raise serious issues of concern, and defence will look into those and take appropriate action. Yeah, yeah. This comes after the recent deaths of three more Australian soldiers in Afghanistan, in total since the war began, to 16 amid increasing community concern about the, the uh, nation's involvement in the war. Defence Minister John Faulkner this week announced he was leaving the portfolio um, then had to repeat, really deny it was because of his own reservations about Afghanistan. The researchers ran focus groups to ascertain whether they would be asking the most appropriate questions in the eventual surveys um, while they obtained uh, only snapshots of the views of those serving the Middle East, normally hidden by defense marketing and public relations machine, the propaganda machine. They realized they had underestimated the, the anger troops felt about defense itself and have since changed their surveys. But what they found is really quite something. It isn't just being shot at by Afghanistanis. They're afraid of American troops who open up in anything that's moving. That's part of their issue. Another part, of course, is that some of the other troops, like the Belgian troops, won't help bring in the dead and stuff like this. But this is a world war that's going on. And it's perpetual war. I've gone through that whole article before from the military magazine in the U.S. talking about perpetual war and even even bringing the degrading culture that America now has into those other cultures and to degrade them as well. You would ask, ask, who benefits from this kind of system when you degrade all these cultures? The ones who bring in the world society, who want to depopulate quickly. The same people who bring in you your dumbed-down education. I might touch on that when I come back from this break. 
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just leaving that story about Australia, but uh, a lot of stuff's been docked from it, obviously. The report, as it even says in the report, by the military and the government itself that doesn't like what they're finding. So they simply omit it and uh, pretend it's not there. But I've had other letters from Australia about this article, and my goodness, uh, people are shooting each other. They're all the same, you know, people who are in the Allied forces are all shooting each other. That was put out of it, but they're also afraid of the U.S. And even the U.S. with have uh, shot so many people by mistake with the way they handle their weaponry, even just basic safety. And I know that for a fact, too, because one guy who just got out of uh, service in the U.S. visited a friend of mine and to, to uh, date his sister and uh, just was going through a drawer and noticed uh, a pistol there and he put it up and fired it without checking anything and put a hole through a wall. So I don't know what they're teaching them in the military, but they're on so many drugs now, I don't think they know even what they're doing. And they have long-term effects thereafter as well. And that's the danger you're going to have when you go into the military. You're now a machine. The military doesn't care about you. It will use everything it can to create the perfect killing machine. And if there's anything left of you at the end, that's a bit of luck because they don't really care what's left of you at the very end of it and what kind of state you're in. Now we're getting trained too. The society is to become more uh, violent. That's why, again, they introduced the, the war on terror in 2001 to get this all implemented across uh, most of the countries of, of the world at the same time. They needed their Pearl Harbor event. They created it. They got it. But it's to get this agenda through because they're taking the world down now and the excess cultures that they've been governing over and living off of so well for such a long time, they don't need them anymore. And as I say, they're worried that we are going to start utilizing all the resources which should be left for the, the better breeds to, to, to use for generations to come. And that really is, has been discussed in many of their books and their, their world meetings at the top. So they're going to really stir up even more crime by under the pretense of, of cutbacks, government cutbacks and spending cutbacks. And Britain, that really is a test case for, for every other country. We should watch what happens there because whatever happens there happens elsewhere very quickly. It's the big experimental basin. It's the spearhead of the New World Order. That's where the Royal Institute of International Affairs was born. And they used the British Empire as a nucleus to set up the United Nations for world government. And that's in their own writings, too. This article here is from The Telegraph. It says, Probation watchdog. Serious crimes may be price the public have to pay for cutting the cost of justice. Now, all these links that I mentioned to these articles I put up at cuttingthroughmetries.com at the end of the show. So you can go in and look them up for yourself. Murderers and other serious criminals uh, or crimes committed by prisoners released early from jail may have to be accepted by the public as parts of attempts to keep down the cost of the criminal justice system the probation watchdog has suggested. That means it's going to happen. And it's the Home Affairs, which means it's the Home Office. It's kind of like it deals with all security matters and policing matters for Britain and Homeland Security for Britain too. So the economic climate has put the spotlight on the costs of the criminal justice system and uh, 
Andrew, Andrew Bridges questions whether it was worth keeping thousands of violent and dangerous offenders locked up for longer than the minimum jailed term set by a court just to stop a few of them committing new crimes. It's easier and cheaper to let them murder the people in the public. Uh, than to put them in prison. That's what they're suggesting. So the public's going to have to accept it, it says. Basically, that's summing it up. And they do say that the public will have to accept it. Again, in Britain, what happened there, uh, this article here is from the UK News, Scottish Sunday Express. It says, Britain is more crowded than India and China. The topic per capita over, over square mileage, July the 9th. This was a, a part of the plan. I've gone over the Tony Blair exposés where his chief aide uh, was told to keep it quiet that uh, Tony had said he wouldn't leave office until literally he destroyed the cultural base and system of Britain forever by mass immigration. And we could never go back to having any semblance of what it was before. So it says here, and England is the most crowded country in Europe and the fourth most crowded in the world as our population soars relentlessly towards the 70 million mark. That is an increase in population equivalent to 10 more Birmingham cities. A league table which reveals the pressure of population growth on dwindling resources. Here we go again, you see, put Singapore and the number one spot followed by Israel and Kuwait. The UK as a whole is the 17th in the list of 130 countries. Sir Andrew Green of Migration Watch UK said it's obvious to anyone that England, particularly the South East, is heavily overcrowded. Now here it says, listen to this now, according to official figures, two-thirds of population growth in the next 20 years will be a a result of immigration. So now that they've admitted they're way overpopulated with immigration, they're going to keep it going until... um, Over the next 20 years, it will be a result of immigration. Two-thirds more will be immigrants. So such an increase in the population will put even further pressure on public services such as housing, schools and hospitals. These guys are geniuses, eh? Yeah. So oh, once again, they're pushing not immigration, but they're, pu- they're pushing overpopulation. You see how they play it? We're all in it together. You all have to start getting licenses to, get to, to, to even think about getting married and, and, and the government's going to obviously be the ones who come into it. That's, that's what it's really going towards, folks. That's what it's all for. Who can breed? Who can't breed? Now, most the native Britons there don't bother breeding anymore anyway. They can't even get a family. They're so dysfunctional now, so psyoped and mind-bombed by TV and the culture and, and the lack of work that's they're out of the picture. They're, it's mission accomplished there. And you can follow many, many more articles on, on the same same topic. Uh, even the British National Party that gets hammered all the time, they, they will say some things which are absolutely true. Cover-up of ethnic cleansing, most likely reason for the abolition of national census in the UK. An attempt to suppress statistics which reveal the steady ethnic cleansing of the indigenous population of Britain is the most likely reason for the condemn regimes. That's the, the Conservative Democrats regime. It's a joint regime they have now. Shock announcement that the national census is to be abandoned. It's that bad they don't want the public to know how many folk are, are coming in and who they are. The Domesday Book, the 1066 Domesday Book, although Cabinet um, Office Minister Francis Maud has cited expense as a reason to abolish the de- de- decennial uh, census, this undertaking only costs £482 uh, million pounds to complete. Uh, 
This is minor when it's considered that members of Parliament in Westminster claim an average of £92 million per year in expenses alone and indicate that there's an alternative real reason for the move to abolish the census. Uh, and it's amazing, too, because, I mean, the British government spent $2 billion last year on contracting experts, uh, you know, ex- companies for expert opinions on things. So it's, they're so terrified to tell the public what's really going on now. So I'll put this link up as well. You can read it for yourself. It does say here, though, that uh, the constitutional, a constitutional barrister, that's a lawyer, Geoffrey Robertson, QC, as a Queen's, Queen's counsel. That means he's worked in some uh, Queen capacity or royal capacity or taking business for them before, as saying that future historians will be less able to interpret Britain, you sound about their history, as a result of this uh, decision. Maybe that's the reason for it, he says. So you can see really how it's going. It's made that way. It's been put up that way. And it's really the end. The, the people can hardly speak anymore. When you listen. It's minimalistic speech, like George Orwell said. When you have a vocabulary of a few words, you cannot put across an idea, never mind explain what you feel is happening to you. You're frustrated. They can't even get it out. And that's where people have been reduced to. And people are getting debased more and more with linguistic minimalism. Through their television, they copy and mimic everything you see until they've only got a few words and expletives to use about everything. That's where we are today. Someone sent me a, a, a video. It's called, um, it's called, um, I think it's called Idiocracy, I think it's called. Idiocracy. It's worth seeing because it's, it can be seen from both ways. Uh, from the general public's point of view, who will go in and enjoy it and laugh away and walk away and forget it. And from the elite's point of view, where you're actually, they're actually mocking um, what they've done to the public. They have a, a character who's Mr. Average in the military, um, puts them in suspended animation, basically, and look for a, a Miss Average, who ends, ends up being a prostitute, by the way. That's where they find for Miss Average, is a statement for you, uh, from a city. And uh, they send them off and, and, and they get forgotten about and they end up in the future where everything is so debased uh, that, and everyone's IQ is so low and their, their vocabulary is about 10 words each that they think he's a genius when he speaks. At first they're suspicious of him because he can say, he can actually put a sentence together coherently and end up making him president eventually. But it's worth seeing to see what's in it, because everything in the movie is pretty well here now, thanks to Hollywood and the writers that are chosen to write certain topics and um, include certain topics and then write a story around them. And it's monkey see, monkey do, we all copy what we see. Plato knew that, as I said, as well, over 2,300 years ago. Resources is a leak go for resources, and, and whenever they announce something, they've been at it for a long time. In fact, Quigley again admits that in Tragedy and Hope that Cecil Rhodes Society, with the Rothschilds backing, because he was in partnership with Rothschild, uh, was set off guys across Africa and different places and in India to not only start off this global community, but, but mainly to also grab the resources of uh, each country, to make sure they grabbed the resources. Eventually, they could democratize them, withdraw, which they did, now called the Commonwealth of Nations, but they leave the same system of governance in and their own corporations as well.
That's what happened to South Africa, by the way. And so Prince Charles has been put out in front again. This this guy who couldn't pass a, an examination at Gordonstone uh, School where he was sent. In fact, he couldn't even hack it there for very long. But uh, he literally did fail every exam. He's been put in charge of this. Like, they, need, they always need a popular figurehead, you see. That's all it, mean, it matters is a popular figurehead to lead something to make it sound all very official. But he isn't obviously running the show. This is from Wise Up Journal. It says, uh, British Prince's new global unit uh, targets food, water, and energy for the world, by the way, you know, for the world society. Remember, the UN says in its charter that eventually they will have the rights in its Department of Agriculture to distribute the world's food population to the world by quotas and meaning rationing. So they're going ahead with it, and this is just the open announcement, really, of it. Uh, whereas in reality, they've been setting up the machinery for it for maybe the last 50, 60 years. Uh, the Telegraph article below informs that Prince Charles, the man with special royal genes and the heir to the throne, has launched a new global unit, the International Sustainability Unit. The unit will work with governments and branches of the United Nations to form a one-world opinion and strategy, a legal global accord, that's a treaty, binding treaty, to manage the world's supply of food, water, and energy. Of course, the pampered prince will not lead the unit. It will be overseen by a former government advisor to the unpopular Tony Blair, Justin Mundy. The extract following the Telegraph's promotion allotment shows that this has been part of the plan for a long time and did not spring from the dim crevasses of Charles's mind. Well, it certainly didn't, and I would know that for a fact. So, from the Telegraph, it says Prince of Wales opens a new front in global warming fight. They're using the global warming uh, nonsense as a cover. Uh, the Prince uh, warned last year that there were less than 100 months. Remember that? It was less than 100 months to save the planet from irreversible damage due to climate change. And he's stepping up his own efforts, it says here. This is the most important cause that His Royal Highness has ever taken on, says one of the Prince Charles's friends. He hopes that the unit will make a real difference on the global stage. A spokesman for the Prince said the organization will work with national governments and global bodies such as the World Bank to promote a sustainable development. The unit aims to address the depletion of the world's natural capital by helping to create a consensus as to the best ways to enhance long-term food, water and energy security. By the way, they're going to push GMO across the world. That's a mandate they won't back off of because, you see, Monsanto's part of the military-industrial complex. It says the Prince's charities are now great too, they're under NGOs, eh? are now advertising for senior staff at the unit, which will be led by Justin Mundy, a former advisor to the Labour government under Tony Blair. And then uh, Wise Up goes on to, to give some more information about this. This is the full article here. Elitist Bertrand Russell, third Earl Russell from 1872 till 1970, was a Nobel Prize winner who experimented with educational techniques for young children and was hired by the British government and was an award winner of the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. He works with, worked with the first CEO of um, the, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, which was Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldo Huxley. It's safe to say he was a highly respected man by the excessively rich dominant minority whom he was a part of. In his book, The Impact of Science and Society, in 1952, he recommended that when we reach the globalization stage that an international authority should be set up to manage the security of the world's food capital. 
On page 124, he said, To deal with this problem, it will be necessary to find ways of preventing an increase in world population. If this is to be done otherwise than by wars, pestilence, and famines, it will, be, it will demand a powerful international authority. This authority should deal out the world's food to the various nations in proportion to their population at the time of establishment of the authority. If any nation subsequently increased its population, it should not, on that account, receive any more food. In other words, you'd have to deal with how you're bringing the population down. The motive for not increasing population would therefore be very compelling. What method of preventing increase might be preferred should be left to each state to decide. The top say today that 6 billion is too many people, and 100 years they say that 1 billion people was too many. It's not surprising that the wealthy dominant minority have all have the same opinions on these agencies and agendas, since they just mingle within their own inner circles. Prince Charles and his father fly around the world on luxury jets to give us this message, as published by The Telegraph, June the 10th. The prince said, uh, The earth could not sustain us all, particularly if a vast proportion is consuming natural resources at western levels. And remember, too, what Friends of the Earth and different ones said, and John Holdren and all these guys, and Maurice Strong, uh, they said that um, the world must never have another America meaning a consumer society. And they also added the best thing they could do was to bring down America and destroy and demolish and flatten all of its factories and buildings and all the rest of it. Well, they've pretty well done that, you see, because they exported them uh, to China. That's what they did. That's how they got around that one. And to make sure you're a service economy, floating around, just passing things around, selling from hand to hand to the consumer at the bottom, all brought in from China, and just guzzling movies and Hollywood stuff uh, every day to give us all dumb and really stupid, which has done and has done a very very good job. So that's how they got around things. And see, here's Russell writing about it in the 1950s. Exactly what's coming up today. Whatever comes up today, folks, the machinery is set up 50, 60, 100 years ago. Alan Watt back again and we're cutting through the Matrix. Just finishing off with Bertrand Russell too, who was a big player in the global think tanks that helped set up the system which you're living through today with the breakdown of society. And that was part of the, the function of it too. And part of it too is com- complete data collection on everybody. Whatever is mentioned in the Tech magazines to the public is obsolete. Whatever they say they're working on is obsolete. Whatever is given to the public is the latest is obsolete because they're so far ahead in technology, they knew exactly they could bring in all this equipment to monitor you again 50, 60, 70 years ago. I'm not kidding about that. That's how they're really so far advanced. But we help them. We're like the characters in that movie I mentioned, that idiocracy. Uh, we're like that. We help them because we've been dumbed down, stupefied. People should read uh, the books put out by Gatto on education and how they really decided to dumb the people down. And you go into other books like uh, The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America by Iserby, and you'll, you'll see what the students uh, uh, to the fourth grade were reading a 100 years ago compared to, to today. 
and they could handle it because their IQs were higher. You're born with an IQ. You see, we're born with, we're born with lower IQs because your parents were getting inoculated. They were getting altered food and various other things put in their food and water, exactly as Holdren and others suggested that would happen. Never mind getting sterilized uh, eventually down the second and third generation as they wanted to. That's all happens. But we help them uh, because we're uh, being taught to, you know, that you must have the latest gadget and gizmo, even though they tell you they're monitoring you with all. Most folk don't care. And this article is more I spy than iPhone, a smart device does the legwork for the police. It tells you how the iPhone literally is put out there for the cops to monitor you in more ways than just global positioning satellites. Even when you shut it off, who is, how is your inner, whoever you happen to be, it snapshots a photograph before it closes down, and that's GPS located where it was taken and who was there and all the rest of it. And plus it tells you at the end as well uh, that uh, even though you think you're scrubbing everything off it, a cop tells you says very few people have any idea how to actually remove data from their phone. Said a researcher for U.S. Customs and Border Protection, it may look like everything's gone, but for anybody who's got a clue, retrieving that information is easy. And I'm saying this knowing most folk won't stop using them. They're helping the government monitor them and keep tabs on them. They don't mind being slaves because they think it's so convenient to have this thing that's a fair trade-off, having no privacy. Well, those folk are so domesticated, they're finished. Again, read the book by Charles Galton Darwin, the physicist who lived in the 19, who wrote it in the 1950s, writing about this coming world system, the elimination of the useless eaters, the, the weak, the infirm, so that they couldn't outbreed the healthy intelligentsia that he was a member of. Read it. Because these guys mean business, and we're pretty well there. And if you want to know what's going on, you have to go beyond the daily news of what they're doing today. These are just symptoms of it. That's all you're seeing is symptoms of it. You've got to find what the why is of it. And it's much bigger than you think. And for people to really protest with any kind of ability, they have to do their homework and get up to speed fast on the massive organizations that have no right ruling you at all. you got to do it with your permission, right? From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.